And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. All right, ladies and gentlemen, here we go. It is the beginning of a new week, the beginning of a new month. We're already in November, my goodness. Hope everybody had a good Halloween, survived the ghouls and goblins and ghosties. Today being the first Monday of the month, we'll get into money talk here in a moment. First of all, just to let you know, we are broadcasting live to Odyssey, YouTube, and Facebook. So the chat and the comments are open. Anybody wants to share your thoughts, ask questions of our experts. We also have a newsletter we'd like you to sign up for. You can see that over at SciFiForMe.com. And uh, we are also available as a podcast this particular show on various different podcast platforms so we do invite you to check that out as well and you never know we might sound better than we look my name is jason hunt i'm the editor here at sci-fi for me.com uh, our email address if you want to give us feedback on this show live from the bunker at sci-fi for me.com new h2o podcast tonight we stay busy here, and I want to I want to start here uh, just very quickly because we're gonna st- we're gonna have uh, our our guests here. Oh wait, what is going on there? Hang on, let me uh, let me let me change something here. I have to I have to change that. There we are. All right, <laughs> Matt Stevens and Dan Danford are here joining us. Talking about finance and money and economics and marketing and all sorts of things, but I wanted to start uh, with you guys on this on this one. Uh, this is a follow up story on something that we've talked about a number of occasions in recent months. Uh, this is uh, out of the Financial Times Market Watch, the SEC report on the GameStop saga. Now, for those of you who remember. Uh, this is one of those uh, stocks that was shortlisted, and suddenly there was a run on it, and the price went way up, and a lot of people made made uh, uh, quite a bit of of at least virtual money. I don't know how many people actually realized realized it and sold and got the cash, but uh, apparently this this has still been going on. Uh, have you guys have you guys seen this and have thoughts on what this means? The SEC report on GameStop declines to rule on causes of trade restrictions. So, in layman's terms, what does that mean? Dan, are you uh, you up on this? I'm uh... Uh, well. I'm, uh, in general, the uh, you know the. SEC and the various exchanges can uh, impose restrictions if they think something is amiss with the trading of the stock or if uh, the shifts are too dramatic at particular points in time, they can stop the trading for a little bit. And uh, this this particular stock uh, six or eight months ago was being touted by uh, people on uh, various uh, social media, and it was driving the prices uh, you know, thousands of percent 
and uh, we talked a lot about it at the time. Several of the exchanges did slow or stop the trading at uh, different points in the whole thing. And uh, it, it earned government scrutiny uh, because in the social media platforms and stuff, you have people who are not properly registered or licensed who are potentially part of the touting scheme. Uh, so there's been investigation since then, I guess is what I'm saying. It's uh, kind of amazing. It basically went nonstop from 10 to over 300, 400, I guess. Is it? So, and, and I, yeah, I, I haven't followed it that much since since that run, but it was uh, like nothing I've ever seen. It but lets the little guys get involved. Yeah, so. that's right. And there's very little. So what's concerning from an investment perspective is that a lot of that activity isn't driven by economic bad things. It's not earnings driving it or promises of, of great returns or anything. It's it's, it's stories and rumors that drive it. And there's no way to stop that. That takes place in all markets all the time. Uh, but if they sense that somebody is deliberately manipulating the prices, in other words, they're, they're saying and doing things uh, primarily to move the prices in an unfair fashion, uh, then the government will step in. I think it was being manipulated publicly, though, through the, through the social media. It's yeah, exactly. Whereas, they, whereas right. on the other side, they had been trying to uh, run it up just a little bit to short it. Well, and, and, uh, and in this article, though, it says the SEC argued that while many short sellers were forced to close out their positions as the stock's price rose in January and, this, and that this dynamic fueled price increases, it was not a major factor. Um, I, I, don't, I don't understand. If they're sitting there saying, you know, People, people being forced because the short selling is basically saying, okay, we're going to buy all these shares, thinking that their price is going to drop, and then we're going to sell them all, uh, assuming that we actually own them and we're not borrowing from somebody else. That's a that's a whole other aspect to this. But when there was the run on the stock, and the prices start going up, people are sitting there saying, well, I've got to dump them before they go too high, or else I'm going to be out all of this money. How is that not a major factor in the price going up on this? Well, I think the problem was there are so many people short, a large percentage of this. I believe it was shorted over 200% of the float was shorted. And the people on Reddit figured that out. And they said, this is the one we want to uh, start buying. Yeah. Knowing that those shorts at some point are going to have to cave and start buying too. Because they, they, they have to buy that stock back at some point. And uh, when you short a stock, you put up some money. You have to put up margin. And if it goes up against you, you have to keep coming up with cash out of your own pocket to keep that position afloat. And uh, they rightfully figured we could just force them into a bad situation, which they did. There were a lot of firms that went out of business yeah. because of this. But it was public manipulation. Usually it's done kind of in private. I think just, you know, investment bankers call one another and decide we're going to run the stock up and then start unloading it, shorting it. Well, it has me wondering, though, because if you have uh, if you have such a public social media driven activity, uh, this almost kind of works as an experiment, uh, a, a, a microcosm, if you will, 
on how the public can affect stocks and in just in general not just not just particular things but if you look at um oh let's see what would be what would be one southwest airlines for example because they're dealing with you know pilots not wanting to pilot and and some different refusals to to you know show up for work because of the impending vaccine mandate now they've since backed off of that but we're starting to see a lot of the airlines are sitting there you know they're having to cancel flights american airlines over the weekend canceled over 2000 flights southwest keeps canceling and and it's staffing issues and weather quote unquote i don't believe that for a second but i wonder how much consumer activity can affect stock prices on companies like that. I mean, it's not, you know, they're not the day traders or anything, but just the whole public speaking out in general about things, consumer backlash yeah, being being a, a buzzword there. Can, can we get noisy enough that, the, that it affects the stock price just in, in general terms? Well... Uh, since October 1st, uh, it appears that Southwest has fallen from about 50, 55 to 45. So in a, in a very steady market, but think of, uh, probably this will happen to all the airlines, but if you are going to book a ticket this week, uh, for Thanksgiving, uh, would you, Southwest might be not real high on your list because they had this problem. Yeah, probably all the airlines are going to have this problem to some degree. The Southwest has already had it, so yeah, so it's going to hurt sales in the future, I would think. Dan, what do you think? That'd be part of it. No question that, that the news can affect stock prices, um, but it partly depends on how widely held a particular stock is and who the owners are of the stock. So, you know, some. Uh, there's some consumer brands that people recognize and a lot of individuals own. And I always tell, you know, when I'm teaching uh, college kids or whatever, and we're going to follow stocks, you know, they want to follow the price of Harley Davidson and they want to follow the price of what used to be Anheuser-Busch and, and things like that. Because those are recognizable and you find a lot of individuals who own those stocks because they like them, they recognize them, they so a story that um, affects those particular companies is going to have more impact than a story that affects a company that is held more by institutional investors. So if you have a company that's largely held by the mutual funds and the insurance companies and the hedge funds and things like that, uh, they are less likely to uh, react to a news story than something that's held by consumers. So Southwest Airlines is a good example. You know, it's very recognizable. There are a lot of people who own shares of Southwest Airlines because they like to travel. They like using Southwest, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. It's going to be affected more than maybe someone that's uh, that's less publicly done. And one thing, going back to GameStop, GameStop was, I would assume very few investment portfolios held yeah. up at the start. So it was probably all in the hands of relatively weak people. Yeah. Uh, and also a, a few months before this all happened, Michael Burry, who was made famous in the book, the big short for 
creating right. uh, mortgage derivatives. He put out a very positive report on GameStop. I, I, by positive, I mean he said the financials don't look that bad. So I, I was trading it prior to this, prior to all this happening. Unfortunately, I, I was out of it by no. the January game. So. Well, and and other things too, where you look at you know not just not just with the airlines uh, and and having to do with you know the the medical stuff and and experimental medical procedures and whatnot, but when you look at over over the last few days with the Halloween season, we had a couple of commercials that showed up that were technically not really commercials, but they're sponsored by companies uh the first one here being this uh this ad not necessarily an ad uh there's more to this story but people were seeing this as an advertisement paid for by twix and it's called the new nanny and it features a a child who shows you know who answers the door this new nanny shows up she's dressed goth witch like whatever of course it's halloween spooky ooky and through the course of this, we see a, a montage of, of scenes where the nanny and the child are, are bonding and having little experiences and whatnot and getting to know each other. And at the end, the child is in the park and is getting bullied by some kid in a cape. And, it, and the reveal is this child, who's been wearing a dress the whole time, apparently is a boy wearing a dress. And the, the nanny decides to punish the bully and does her little hoochie 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 and the and the boy gets thrown however far wherever and all that's left is the cape on the ground and reaction to this has been mixed of course uh some you know the the lgbtq community of course thinking you know singing the hosannas thing this is a great thing and of course some other people sitting there saying Okay, so you're 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 basically saying that the answer to bullying is violence? Okay, that's the thing. But then the other question is, what does this have anything to do with Twix? And because the initial response was this was a Twix commercial because the Twix logo is in the beginning of this. But as it turns out, this was a short film that was financed by the Mars Wrigley Company, which is the parent company of Twix. And it was for a series of these called uh, Bite Size Halloween. This is stuff that goes over on Hulu. So this was not necessarily a commercial. It was a short film from, you know, indie creators who get money, I guess, from corporate sponsors. So how, how much backlash should we anticipate because people are sitting there saying well i'm not going to buy twix anymore but twix it really if you want to hit somebody with the pocketbook not that there's going to be a huge impact but you go after the mars wrigley brands which is not just twix it's everything else i mean m&ms gum candy all of this what what kind of fallout should we expect from this and should should companies lean into this more is this is this the beginning of a trend because we've got the doritos ad we're going to talk about here here in a minute too i i don't i don't see that this is necessarily a smart move in a marketing sense i mean if you want to sit there and say yes we're going to finance independent film creators 
that's one thing. And, you know, you put the money out there. But if you're going to put your brand on something, then it becomes part of your marketing and promotion mix. And you run the risk of this being seen as pandering. Well, one thing, if you don't uh, alienate too many people with something like this, usually to see a commercial, they have to pay. You have to pay a network to broadcast it. But if you can get it as an interesting film that people go on to Hulu, watch it, or get it talked about on social media, such as we are doing now, people yeah. go watch it. That's worth a lot of money. I mean, the dream is to get, have a Super Bowl ad that gets replayed over <laughs> and over and over again. Yeah, everybody wants that 1984, don't they? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I think, you know, there, there's an old thing in the publicity in the advertising world that says, you know, any publicity is good publicity. Even bad publicity is good publicity. Yeah. Yep. I mean, I, it's a calculated risk, but I think they've made a decision that they wanted to make some kind of statement. I mean, they didn't have to. Even if they financed it, they did not have to put it out there. They decided to put it out there. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's a, it's a very woke time in, uh, in the United States especially. And there are a lot of uh, corporations that are pouring money into all kinds of uh, woke type ideas. And I think these guys want to be seen as cutting edge. Yeah? The same with Berea. Uh, you, know, you may not agree with it on either side, but uh, you come away from it thinking, well, those guys are certainly trying to look enlightened, aren't they? You know, it's not really a bad thing. Yeah. Well, thing about this, Ned, we, people might watch it and say, what were they advertising? And you actually notice Twix. Think, think how many advertisements you see. That was, you say, that was a great commercial. What were they advertising? Yeah. Yeah can't remember the product yeah well and and right. we mentioned the doritos thing this is this this is a similar type yeah. of thing it's a it's a short film uh story of sorts and it's already got more than two and a half million views on youtube and it's a day of the dead themed story and they're basically you know the family's getting together the uncle has passed and they're putting all of the stuff out, you know, in, in tribute on the on the table and stuff. And and Uncle shows up. Uncle's ghost pops in and says, "Hi, everybody. How you doing?" And they're like, "Oh, it's it's our favorite Uncle. How are you doing, Uncle?" And Uncle says, "I want you to meet somebody. And here's my gay partner in the afterlife." And everybody's like, "Oh, we're so happy you found somebody." And the first thing out of out in the first thought in my head was not necessarily the the aspect of of the partner and you know a homosexual relationship and that kind of thing that that was incidental to me but but the thing that struck me is you know my first thought the afterlife doesn't work that way <laughs> you know I'm sitting there no, nobody nobody finds relationships like this in the afterlife it that's that's not how the afterlife works and and I'm my my Christian scholars studies stuff starts kicking in and then I think oh well hang on they're pandering to the LGBTQ community here what does this have to do with Doritos because Doritos aren't even in it when she puts the thing out and the, the things on the table there aren't any Doritos either and so this is another one of those things where okay you 
if you want to be on brand, you have to have your brand in this. It's almost like they want to have the best, they want to be in both worlds. Yes, we want you to know this is Doritos, but we're not really going to tell you it's Doritos because you don't see it. You don't see the brand there. But here we are talking about it, and we all know it's a Doritos ad. So, <laughs> so we should stop talking ones. about it. All right, that's it for the for the day. Thanks, for everybody. Uh, Bye. No, <laughs> right? I don't believe that, but I, I do believe, you know, um, several years back, Subaru became the first major uh, car uh, seller to advertise in gay magazines and stuff. And it was a big, it was a big thing back then. Uh, but you know what? It hasn't hurt Subaru at all. I mean, people people love those cars. They're high quality cars. I mean, it, you know, it's kind of a non-event. It's just another demographic that they went after. Yeah. And, uh, I agree that these ads are, are maybe controversial for a, a little bit different reasons. But at the same time, I, I don't see them being uh, huge red flags in today's world. Well, and, and my other question on this is, uh, and granted, I'm not Hispanic. I, I don't spend a lot of time in, the, you know, Hispanic communities or on discussion threads or anything like that. But just as a surface impression, I don't, I don't think that targeting the Hispanic community with an LGBT-friendly spot is necessarily the best mix because, you know, you have a lot of Hispanics who are Catholic, and, and this kind of seems off-target a little bit. Like, maybe they shouldn't be going after the Hispanic community with this because, you know, I, maybe millennials and young New York urbanites, but not not Hispanics. The, the Day of the Dead is a big thing. I mean, even here at the, um, at the, the um, museums here in Kansas City, I mean, they have Day of the Dead celebrations and stuff, and it's a big thing in the Spanish community. Not necessarily that anything to do with gay or not gay. Yeah. It's just a big event that draws a lot of interest, so... But it just seems to me that that it's it, it doesn't it doesn't seem to be a good fit because you know by and large I mean I don't know how many how many Hispanics are homosexual I mean it doesn't really matter but the general sense yeah and and we see this you know these assumptions that get made about particular groups whether they're ethnic groups or ideological groups or political groups or anything, you make the assumption that certain certain groups believe a certain way. Certain groups vote a certain way. They spend their money on certain things. And this just doesn't seem to, to connect with me. Um, I, I don't know. If, if, well, another thing I, I would say is that, I, no, I don't disagree with you on that. Of course, they should be doing demographic research. But I'm pretty pretty familiar with the uh, advertising crowd uh, and the whole commercial group. I always tell, I have a daughter who's been very successful in that realm. She and I talk about such things. And I always say, you know, I really don't care how many awards that uh, that particular commercial earns. I care how many hamburgers it sold. Yeah. yeah. 
And uh, <laughs> a lot of people, a lot of people in the advertising business, you know, they're, they're, they're artsy people, they're, they're talented, creative people, but they want every single thing to be an award-winning uh, kind of thing. And I think less creativity and more sales is what I'm interested in. Yeah. Yep. I, I would almost guarantee you that both of these ads that we're talking about will garner or both of the whether they're ads or whatever they are will garner uh some kinds of award before the uh, next year's up well and and this you know this uh this headline here from ad week they're calling it the ad of the day uh doritos viral dia de muertos ad gorgeously celebrates lgbtq plus communities i mean they're already Thing, but it, the the sub headline the brand wants to encourage acceptance within the culture, acceptance of what? Acceptance of Doritos? Do they want Hispanics to buy more Doritos, or are they trying to push acceptance of non heterosexual relations in the Hispanic culture? Does that does that imply that the Hispanics are not generally accepting of of this kind of thing? So it, you start to ask a bunch of questions, the logic starts to break down. What exactly is the purpose behind this kind of thing? But like you said, Dan, I mean, the the media types are, you know, the intelligentsia are already celebrating these things. Uh, and it's still really, I guess, since these things just have only been out a week or so, there's no real way to measure whether or not they've sold more Twix or Doritos yet. But they will. <laughs> I mean, eventually you'll know whether they're affected in that in that way. Yeah. But we'll see, or affected in any way for that. I don't know. It just it it just seems like the. You know, that we've talked about the culture war before. We've talked about, you know, consumer backlash and fan backlash about, uh, you know, from various different aspects. From a business standpoint, though, from an economic standpoint, you would think that the, that the market research would be done before they go in and throw a bunch of money at this stuff. So, obviously, somebody somewhere has decided that this is going to work and it's going to have more positive feedback than it will negative feedback. I guess I guess the proof will be in the pudding, you know, as we get a few weeks out from this thing. Probably the goal was to be a little bit controversial, get more get more press. I mean, I think everybody would love to have the success that Applebee's had with that short film somebody made that it, it was so it got so many views they they uh, it was a spec film, I believe. And Applebee's got a hold of it. Yeah. And uh, they changed their menu over it. I mean, it's a, it's a big deal. So a lot of free advertising there. Well, <clears throat> I guess. <laughs> I, I don't know. I just. The proof's in the pudding. We'll find out. We'll find yeah. out. All right. That's so right. what we're going to do here, speaking of proofs in the pudding and advertising, we're going to take a real quick short break. When we come back, we're going to talk more about fan and consumer backlash on a couple of other things. On the other side of this, don't go away. We'll be right back. This is Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Be sure to connect with us on social media and subscribe to our channels so you don't miss our next broadcast. 
He's like, okay, hold on. You've got somebody, and all he does is put on some glasses and slicks back his hair, and nobody knows who he is. Nobody recognizes him. It's it's it's, it's like that that uh, that scene in in the Green Lantern movie where she looks at him and is like, how? You know, like, you just put on a mask and you expect me not to recognize you? The H2O Podcast, Monday night at 8, only on Sci-Fi For Me TV. Hi everyone, it's McKenna Talley from Salacious Crumbs. Just a quick reminder for all the latest Star Wars news and rumor, be sure to check out our show Salacious Crumbs right here on Sci-Fi For Me TV, Sundays at 5 p.m. Eastern, 4 Central. Back in the studio, live from the bunker, Jason Hunt here along with Matt Stevens and Dan Danford talking to money, economics, finance, and consumer backlash. Uh, I want to get into this a little bit more because there is, uh, there's a couple of other things because we've got stuff like, um, you know, um, uh, Masters of the Universe Revelation, for example, coming up on Netflix. Uh, we've got part two. We've got the trailer. We see the uh, a lot of the material there uh, almost almost gives away too much. And the consu- the customer backlash, the fan backlash from part one, still really hasn't died down a lot. It, and now it's it's resurfaced because. You know, there are still people sitting there saying, well, this is the Tila show. And you've got the Dave Chappelle stuff going on. You have um, uh, a lot of things with social media where, and we've seen this in the comic book industry. We talked about it before where, you know, they're sitting there saying, well, if you don't like my politics, don't buy my book. And, And if you're going to complain about this social media site, go make your own. And so people have done that. And they're still getting pilloried and and ridiculed in the media. And and Matt, you were wanting to talk a little bit about this this new media SPAC that uh, that Donald Trump is involved in. And I think it I think it speaks to a bigger a bigger issue that we really do see a microcosm of it in the in the genre community because you have a lot of people that are that are in that niche whether it's Marvel and DC and comic books or if it's in video games or if it's Star Wars or Star Trek there's a lot of a lot of backlash and fan and and fan complaints with regard to all of these and I know people have expressed some concern about the new Ghostbusters falling down that rabbit hole of you know politically correct woke whatever you know mindset but does this kind of thing lend itself to two different economies now? Where are we are we on the way to a liberal progressive left leaning economy and a conservative right leaning economy? Well, certainly probably most people who go see the superhero movies are not looking for a big political statement, but they're in almost every one of them. So as long as they don't alienate their fan base which would, i think would be very hard to do they're probably gonna 
funny you should mention that because we we have a we have a new behind the scenes book about the Marvel about the Marvel universe, and apparently one of the people that was involved in Endgame, uh, Avengers Endgame, which was the last big giant epic Marvel movie. There's a particular scene at the end when all of the women, all of the female superheroes, are all there in that one shot, and it's you know obvious pandering and everybody saw it for what it was of course people are sitting there saying well does that mean we're going to get a force maybe but it's interesting that it's coming out now there was a discussion behind the scenes with regard to that particular shot and somebody was asking is this going to be seen as pandering so they were already aware that there was a possibility of backlash on this shot. And they went back and they did some more in the editing to establish all of these people were there first before they did the group. So individual shots of the different characters before we got to the group shot. So it mitigated that a little bit. But it does sound like it's, it's, it's beginning to seem like some of these companies, some of these media outlets are starting to pay attention a little bit more to what the fans are starting to say. I don't know if that started with Solo or if it's if it's been, you know, since then. But are we are we looking at two different things being set up here? Because you've got Parlor, you've got Gab, you've got MeWe and Minds, you've got all these different alternative social media st- setting up. You've got the Daily Wire getting into film production and it's not in Hollywood. It it does almost seem like we're separating into two different Americas almost. Uh, well, that's definitely going on. There's no doubt about it. Uh, when Trump got off social media, <clears throat> social media traffic fell all, over 25% across the board. I assume Facebook went up, but everything else fell, Twitter and all the others. So this may may bring, may come back. It's, it's, so we will just see. It'll be a definite, different clientele. So, so it'll have some, some sort of impact. It'll probably increase traffic on Twitter and, uh, like I said, became one and some Facebook. You know, um, many years ago, I used to do quite a bit of public speaking, and uh, somebody uh, told me, you know, one way to go into a speech or whatever was to acknowledge that there's three groups in front of you. a group that when you show up, they're going to almost instantly dislike you for some reason. Maybe you look like somebody they knew and they didn't like or whatever. Right. And there's a group that's going to probably like you no matter what you say. You can say almost anything. And they're going to say, wasn't he a nice young man? And most of the speech is about converting the people in the middle. You know, you want to win them over. And I think that's always been the case, but rarely have we been at the point where the people who love you and the people who hate you are so vocal. Yeah. So I think, you know, in politics today, we see, you know, that the, the, there's the progressives on the left and there's the uh, right wingers way on the right. And then there's this big group in the middle that probably most of us fall into, truthfully. Most of us are in there someplace. But rarely have we been at a time when those two groups, uh, those other two groups, are so vocal and so uh, angry and so uh, hateful. Um, and, and so I'm not sure it's different than it was, except it's certainly louder than it was. And uh, 
I, I think we're seeing that everywhere. And I, I would say, you know, within the genre, um, within entertainment, within politics, within almost everything, you've got these very loud people on the edges and the rest of us are just trying to figure out how to navigate. I I, people are more expressive than ever before. I mean, look at yes. the champs at the football games in recent oh. months. <laughs> Well, and and it 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 almost does feel like Dan, when you're talking about you know this big group in the middle, <clears throat> it it brings to mind this cartoon that's been floating around, where you have you have somebody that's in the middle, and by and large, it, and it's not a hundred percent of the time certainly, but by and large, a lot of attacks, especially on social media, when you look at Twitter, uh, and and things like Reddit and Tumblr, or wherever. A lot of the attacks seem to be coming from the left, and and the people in the middle kind of end up getting pushed to the right almost because it's like, well, wait a minute, why are you attacking me? I'm not I'm not the enemy here. I'm not the bad guy. I'm just standing here. I'm not doing anything. But you're going to come at me because you don't like something that I said. I'm uh, um, uh, Margaret Atwood recently you know she's the writer of the handmaid's tale and the handmaid's tale is celebrated as as attacking the the patriarchy and and you know christian authoritarianism they really take it to the take it to the man type of thing but a couple of weeks ago she posts an article uh, uh an opinion piece that somebody wrote about why why we can't use the word woman anymore and so now Margaret Atwood finds herself in, in, in on the receiving end of a lot of the same transphobia accusations that were leveled against J.K. Rowling. When, you know, Margaret Atwood was a hero until she wasn't. And it feels like a lot of that attack is coming from the left. And now Margaret Atwood is sitting there going, wait a minute, what did I do? I think part of, I absolutely see that. And I also think that part of that goes back to the fact that most of the media are, you know, they lean left. Yeah. And even if they aren't vocally, you know, terrible, strong left, they lean that way. And so those arguments get a lot of sympathy. It gets, it gets more treatment in the media and by writers and creators than the other side does. Um, but that's been the case forever. It's just it's it's bigger now, right? Uh, because of all the vitriol. So if I've got a company that I want to make money, I've got a widget that I want to sell. Whatever whatever that widget is, whether it's a comic book or it's a movie or if it's a car or or camping equipment or whatever, uh, candy bars, potato chips. If I want to if I want to maximize the potential market. And I want to advertise in a way that appeals to the most people that could buy my product. How do you how do you approach that? What if, if people are coming to you guys? You you're, you study economics, you study the finances, you're looking at the money of things. What are some of the considerations if I want to if I want to appeal to a broad market? What kind of message do I need to be putting out there? Uh, well, I think the middle just needs to get name recognition. If they they hear your product, most most people aren't going to be offended by one of those ads that we saw, yeah. uh, the Twix ad or the Doritos ad. But everybody's going to hear the name. 
Twix and Doritos. And a percentage of people will actually be drawn to it. And everybody else will hear it. And a percentage of people will be pushed away. But getting the name out there in front of everybody, I think that's the, that's the real goal on those commercials. And get us get it talked about. And I think there's, you know, you need to recognize that's an excellent point because if you're a big consumer, uh, you, need, you need to appeal to the biggest group possible. And that would be, let's don't offend the people on the left or the right. Let's just be one big happy family and sell our product based on, you know, the economic value of that product, okay? But it's, it's also true that niche products can do very, very well. So you can, you can also say, you know what, I've got an idea for a product that's going to be very appealing to people on the left or on the right. It will never achieve the same mass as something that appeals to everyone, but it can still be, you know, just ridiculously successful as long as you understand that there's a limitation by doing that. Right. And I think partly you can see that in, uh, in, in television, in television news, it, it didn't used to be that, you know, the networks had a slant. You know, the, the guy reading the news when it was Walter Cronkite, he was appealing to that great big group of people. But over the last, you know, dozen years, probably, um, they, they've narrowed their focus. So you've got CNN that, that is really pretty much over there on the progressive left. And you've got Fox, which is pretty much over on the right. And they're, they're both enormously successful, but they're still niche products. Yeah. Okay? You know, you say, when they talk about, you know, their, their, their ratings, there's, well, you know, they drew 4 million people last night. Okay. And that's a great rating, you know. But that's out of 340 million people. Okay, it is a niche product. I think we're seeing a lot of that tonight. Well, and let me ask you this, because this popped up over the last week, week and a half or so. Uh, Ethan Van Skyver, who's a, a comic book creator, he worked with DC Comics and Marvel, and he's doing his own thing now. Uh, he floated the idea a couple of weeks ago that the parent companies of DC and Marvel, you've got Warner Media and you've got AT&T Dis or Disney, um, <clears throat> Apparently, his his idea that he put in you speculation, of course. He says, "What if these companies are getting paid to hire people that are in the progressive ideology mindset in order to take these products into more woke territory, as it were, become more propaganda rather than story?" And everybody looking at him says, "Oh, yeah, that's ridiculous." But now it's coming out that AT&T and Disney have taken what's called ESG funds, which is money from the government, as, as I understand it. I, this is a brand new thing for me. So could there be anything to that as far as, you know, because we know with the Department of Education, if federal money goes to a school, there are strings attached. I wouldn't expect this to be any different if the government is going to give you what I don't even know what ESG funds are. Are y'all familiar with that? I am not. I'll see what it, it's, see if I can find out what it stands for. Uh, well, it's, it, they're socially conscious funds of, of one kind or another, and uh, so. Okay, there you go. So what's happening is that there are uh, groups out there that want 
to invest their money uh, following certain principles or ideas. And uh, like, for instance, uh, they might say, uh, we want to, we want empowered women to be one of the things that's important. And so <clears throat> if that fund is going to have an ESG a rating of some kind, that they aren't going to be able to hold any company stock that is perceived as being anti-woman. So gotcha. the same thing can go for anti-alcohol, it can go anti-war munitions, anti-anything. What they're trying to do, though, is Disney is saying, you know what, we want to be a company that these ESG funds can hold. We don't want to have any controversy of any kind. And so it does, it does tend to influence their behavior. They, they start saying and doing things that are perceived as being you know, altruistic, kind of as opposed to being profit-oriented, necessarily. Right, and but it, except if I yeah. look at, yeah, but yeah. if I, I look at something like Disney, for example, you know, they came under right. fire because of, you know, with Mulan, for example, shooting part of their movie, not, you know, a hop, skip, and a jump away from a concentration camp where the Chinese have, have interred uh, Muslim Chinese, and you have uh, all of the political posturing over the the new anti-abortion law in in georgia and then you have you know stuff like this with with the doritos and the twix thing or whatever all of these things do do seem to be aimed at a more progressive left-leaning messaging rather than we want to appeal to everybody in a broad market and sell this thing because sales of comic books are down across the board Except manga. Manga's doing great. Manga's blowing everybody out of the water. And you've got these indie comics that are really doing well. Some of them are doing better than others. But, you know, this idea of the ESG funds, if we want to, you know, like you were saying, if Disney sits there and says, well, we don't want to be controversial, they got a really interesting way of showing that because of some of the decisions and the choices that they've made so far. I mean, you look at the same thing with Paramount and, and AT&T, Warner, and all of that group. Absolutely right. And part of the problem is, though, what offends you? Yeah. <laughs> you know, we all have different hot buttons. And so if, if Disney's trying to be pure, even that's going to offend somebody. You know, and, and, these, and all these groups are vocal now. Yeah. Everybody is vocal. So no matter who you offend, even if it's only three people, if they're vocal enough, they can make a big deal out of it. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, the, the ESG movement itself is, is trying to get corporations to be more socially responsible in a good way. But the problem is, is that it's, you know, one guy is offended by liquor, another guy is offended by guns, you know, and, and another is offended by how they treat women. And California now has a law saying that a certain number of directors for every corporation has to be women, right. you know, despite their quality. Those are the kinds of issues that you run into. I mean, it doesn't offend me, but it offends some people. Yeah. Eastland in the chat says, this sounds to me like clean, wholesome, progressive, green, not legally defined or quantifiable. Uh, I dislike rich celebrities telling us how to live. <laughs> and, it, you know, and that does raise a good point where you have these people, whether it's, you know, uh, George Clooney or uh, uh, who's, you know, 
Brie Larson or anybody who's basically sitting there saying, well, you should you should do it this way. You should be like this. And, you know, there's a there's a good majority of us sitting here saying, well, who are you to tell us what what we what choices we need to be making? I want to decide for myself. Thank you very much. I always think that's a bad call for celebrities is to take a position like that because they're not going to gain any fans and they could alienate some. Yeah. Yeah. So well, like and the musicians also do it. Sometimes they go up and I see, I see a lot of live music and sometimes musicians go off on, yeah, I paid 10 bucks to see, I don't want to hear your, well, hear your music. <laughs> and some, and some, uh, you know, you start, you start to see, you know, like this, uh, uh, these rappers, you know, who are sitting there, you know, coming up with these, let's go Brandon songs that are, you know, half of the top 10 downloads on iTunes right now. And you see all of the stuff going on at the, at the football games. And you have celebrities like Ice Cube, for example, who came in and just said, I'm leaving this project because I don't want, you know, I'm, I'm not, I don't believe in a, in a vaccination mandate. I mean, he's giving up $9 million to be in this movie because he's not going to get the shot and he doesn't want anybody telling him he has to. And, you know, now we've got lawsuits and we've got, you know, public outcries and protests and whatnot. And it, and it feels like, ultimately, <clears throat> where it's going to matter is in the pocketbook, the bottom line for these companies. And not, you know, does OSHA have the authority to do this? And does the government have the authority to do that? All of that, I think, is going to be incidental. That's a, that's a, that's a, a, a one level of the argument. But I think the other level of the argument is consumer activity. Because, you know, people like me, I go in and say, okay, well, this grocery store requires me to wear a mask. This grocery store doesn't. I'm going over here because now I'm, I'm voting with my dollar, as it were, and I'm doing business with the people that don't offend me with their policies. And it's like you're saying, Dan, you know, we don't, we don't like – if you don't like guns, you don't like alcohol, you don't like tobacco, you don't like whatever – you have choices that you can make in the marketplace, you know, competition, uh, assuming that businesses are allowed to be open and do business, you know, it, it seems like there's two different, there's two different arguments that are being had right now. You have the consumer protest and you have all of the government law, legal debates that are going back and forth. I'm always held the position that you know, if a if corporation is operating within the legal guidelines, you know, nobody's breaking any laws, nobody's being treated immorally, all those kinds of things, then it ought to go and enhance profits as much as possible. But there are a lot of people out there who don't believe that. They believe that there is a higher standard than just operating legally, and that's their prerogative. I don't have an issue with that whether or not it really affects the companies in the long run. I, I think we're going to look back on this particular point in time. Uh, it's it, it's going to be a very interesting analysis looking back at now from 10 years from now. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think it's the way it has pervaded in entertainment. And football is one of the oh, yeah. points to, you know, in front of 70,000 fans, I'm there to win a game and attract more fans. They don't really want to know my politics. <laughs> no, I do that. I do that. 
Yeah. Well, and that and that brings to mind this this project that Netflix, I guess it's Netflix, has done with Colin Kaepernick, and he's I've seen a clip. He's basically saying that you know, training camp and the you know the weigh in and the check in and all of that stuff is is no different from selling slaves. And I thought, okay, hold on here. <laughs> Your your message has changed an awful lot from when you started taking a knee, and and how much money have you made in the in the meantime? You know, and thinking, how many people are actually going to to do that? Because you know, Chappelle's show has made them a lot of money. Ted Sarandos knows what what side the the bread is has the butter, and he's like, well, you know, we're not going to do anything. We're not going to kick Chappelle off. He makes us money. And this other this other comedian, whoever what's her name is, doesn't because nobody likes it. I mean, you look at the Rotten Tomatoes scores and Metacritic and all of that stuff, and there seems to be this disconnect between uh, critics and and media and journalists and the general public. And it was like you were talking about earlier, you know, when Walter Cronkite was reading the news, majority of the time you couldn't tell what his politics were. Whereas now everybody's wearing their politics on their sleeves and everything is political, even our entertainment media. I mean, you can't get away from it, whether it's a comic book or Star Trek or a video game or whatever. The bottom's got to fall out of this some some point. Maybe? I think so. I think some people are going to start saying... I, mean, I would assume the NFL is, has realized that they've suffered from the political displays. A lot of people don't watch the NFL anymore. I doubt that anyone started watching the NFL because they want to see the politics. No. So they, I'm sure they're making less money because of it. And uh, at some point, the owners are going to say, do this when you're not on the field. So which I think they have every right to do. Well, I think, you know, uh, it's the same with entertainers. You know, I, uh, I'm, I'm kind of like you. I see a lot of live performances, and I like a lot of, uh, you know, classic rock and roller kind of things uh, and, and my opinions don't jive with theirs and they never have but i also say you know what i still still enjoy the music so i go to the concerts even so we kind of discount not all opinions are equal and not all opinions are nuanced you know one of the things that this is really interesting doesn't anything to do with race at all but I was talking last night with my daughter about uh, her favorite athlete who did some real bonehead things in the last week or two. You know? And I was saying, oh, my gosh, how could he do such dumb things? And she said, but Dad, you got to remember, you know, he's 25 years old. Mm -hmm. But that is true. You yeah. talk about football players and basketball players and all these people. You can't blame them for not having nuanced opinions. They're kids. <laughs> They may be kids making tons of money, but they're still kids. They haven't grown up yet. And, uh, you know, she's right. And I think that's what most of us do is if we really do think back on it, we say, okay, well, I don't agree with them, but, you know, maybe they'll grow out of it somewhere. Well, and, and that's another point you look at now. You have celebrities and you have uh, you have athletes who are sitting there saying, you know, they're they're coming down on different sides of the vaccine question, for example. And we sit there and say, well, I don't want X and so personality trying to tell me what to do. 
and then we turn around and we celebrate the ones that are saying things that we agree with. It, or, or, is that is that a little out of control at this point? I mean, how much does that really need to matter? Uh, as far as musicians go, a lot of them you go in and you know pretty much the big names, the politics, their politics beforehand, and you just, and I don't mind that. I, I, I know what I'm going to hear if they get on that topic, and I may like it, I may not, but I'll go, still go hear them. What I don't exactly. like is when it's somebody I don't know right. and somebody playing at a smaller venue. No, I'm not here to hear that. I want to hear your songs. Yeah. So. All right. Well, we will we will leave it there at that. Do you do you think bottom line though, do you think that this kind of marketing and this kind of public behavior ultimately how much does it matter? To, to these companies because I don't see this affecting their bottom line that much one way or the other. Do you? I'm trying to think of any companies that might have suffered horribly long-term from some political misstep. Uh, Dan, can you think of any? No, I really can't. And we have know, ones. it's self-correcting. So even if I do something really stupid today, you know, I can retract it two or three months from now. And I've always said that, you know, the American public is very forgiving. Uh, what they don't forgive is arrogance. So uh, if you make a mistake and you say, I made a mistake, people are pretty much, okay, that's fine, good, let's carry on. Uh, it's people who don't admit that they made a mistake that kind of get in trouble. It happens with politicians all the time. Yeah. And, um, so even if you do something that isn't maybe right, you know, if you amend for it, later on people say, yeah, that was a bad episode, but I still love the chewing gum or whatever. Yeah. All right. Well, we will leave it at that. Thanks very much, gentlemen, for being here. Dan Danford, Matt Stevens. Uh, Dan is the founder and CEO of Family Investment Center. Uh, Dan, uh, Matthew is an independent uh, investment and finance consultant. So, uh we will definitely have to do this again in a month. The first Monday of the month is our Money Talk uh, episode, so uh, we'll look forward to our next session. Thanks very much for being here, guys. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. And thanks to all of you for uh, for being here as well. Those of you uh, giving us comments in the chat, we good to see you. And if you're seeing this on replay, you can still leave us a comment or send us an email live from the bunker at sci fi for mecom and uh, we will, uh, we do read every email. We do read every comment. So leave us your thoughts. Let us know what you think about all of the different things that we talk about. And if you have suggestions for guests that we can invite to the show, uh, leave those with us as well. And we'll have a brand new H2O podcast tonight. I'm not sure exactly what we're going to be talking about. We're going to have to throw a dart at the list. But that's tonight, 9 p.m. Eastern. 8 Central, and uh, don't forget, Foreign Bodies has returned. We dropped a new episode on Saturday. Leslie and Tim visiting and discussing horror from France. So uh, check that out. That is live now. And we will be back to do all of this again tomorrow, live from the bunker, 1 p.m. Eastern. So uh, if you haven't subscribed yet, we do invite you to do so and uh, have your notifications on. And remember... If you don't stand for anything, you'll fall. If you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And there are four lights. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi for Me Radio. 
Copyright 2021 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.